0: New Life East. How are we doing? Are we all alive and well this morning? Yes, awesome. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. Uh, I'm going to read out of Psalm 40 today just so we can posture our hearts in a way before the Lord that, um, that helps us recognize and remind us who He is. Okay, let me read this over us here. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done the things you have planned for us none can compare with you were i to speak and tell of your deeds there would be way too many to declare i proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly that's here this morning that's why we've come to come to come together to declare who he is to remind ourselves remind our neighbor if we need it to give ourselves a little bit of extra strength this morning it says, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. For I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. So let, let that just be a challenge to this morning to boldly sing, to boldly declare, to get on your knees, to pray, to lift your hands, to clap with abandon, unabandoned. All right? Can we do that this morning together? All right, let's sing. We need you we also acknowledge our need for you for your grace for your mercy for your forgiveness oh Jesus we need you a second here and thank Jesus
1: Never sinned but suffered as if you... lift it up. Believe it this morning. And leave-
2: Up praise in this house this morning. He inhabits the praises of his people. God is present with us this morning. As we enter into a time of worship through our giving of our tithes and offering, I want to direct our attention to a, chap- a chapter uh, in Luke 22, verse 35. This is when Jesus is spending the last moments with his disciples before he goes to the cross. And he's having conversations with them sure you've read this let me let me pick this up where Jesus says this he says to all of them the disciples when I sent you out empty-handed did you lack anything not a thing they answered God provided all we needed you know when God calls he also provides I think about um, my older brother who uh, went to Moody Bible Institute to be a, a missionary and my grandparents, when he told them that this was what the Lord had for him and that he was called into ministry, you know, they were so concerned about security and provision and they just thought he was, they, they were like, well, how about just on the side? Just follow God on the side, but maybe you could maybe you could do something that's a little bit, that's a little more, uh, you know, that actually is going to pay the bills. And he said, he said, no, this is what God has for me. I'm going to do this. Follow God into... To mission school, and then I come along, the younger brother, and I go to music school, <laughs> and they're like, "This is this is not going well." I'm like, well, why don't you do music on the side and so, do something that pays the bills? But I'm here. I'm here to tell you guys, listen to me. What I'm here to tell you is that when God calls you, He also provides. And as I've been following Jesus all of my life and, tr- and trying to put Him first in all things we've always had enough and so as we prepare to worship through our tithes and offering this is a time where we're reminded that where we put this into practice that we've always had enough and that God provides everything that we have belongs to him he's the one that provides so as you give this morning there's a box by the door if you brought your gift you can put it in the box that is there if you're watching online you can also mail mail it to the address that's on the screen you can also give online you can give via text would you raise your voices as we continue to worship this morning
1: And Savior, worthy of honor and glory.
2: again today, church. Amen. My name is Colin Stoddard. I'm the executive pastor here at New Life East. We're so glad that you're here with us today. If it's your first time, thank you for coming to worship with us. We have a gift for you at Connect Central, so stop and let them know. Uh, Victoria's there. Let her know that it's your first time, and we'll get that to you. Today's also group's launch Sunday. You might have seen the tables set up in Connect Central. Would you stop Uh, Introduce yourself. Meet somebody new today. We believe that groups are such a core part of who we are as a church. You know, seeing all of you gathered here this morning, I love it. I get to shake your hand or wave across the gymnasium here. But but the real relationship happens when we can stop traffic. We can gather around a table together and you can share a meal. And so, man, we just believe in that. We want you to be a part of that too. We want you to experience getting to know people on a, a real level, being able to support one another and just sometimes just have have fun it's hard to prioritize those things but this morning we've prioritized it for you so would you do that take advantage of of meeting somebody um there's all there's a groups directory you can pick these up at any of the tables and if you weren't with us last weekend we had serve team sunday where you could meet all of our serve team leaders uh, we also have a group or a serve team directory as well so you can jump on a serve team we want you to be connected we want you to be known this is a special place we want you to be a part of it at, at just a deeper level cool Before we open the word together, why don't you turn to somebody new and meet somebody today.
3: Good morning New Life East, it's you again. And it's me again! Hello, hello, hello. If you're joining us, oh thank you, thank you. That was <laughs> oddly self-serving of me, <laughs> I suppose. Um, if you're joining us online or if you're new here, um, welcome. And my name is not Andrew Arndt, despite the fact that I really wish that I was him. Man, he, what an epic guy that we have leading us here at East. No, my name is Brett Davis. I'm one of the pastors over at, um, I'm a pastor with New Life over at Friday Night. And so um, I'm so glad to be here with you again. Um, Go ahead and turn in your Bibles this morning or load it up on your phones. We are still in our series on the book of the 12, or the minor prophets is what it's often called. Go ahead and turn to the fourth one of those. It's Obadiah, Obadiah. It's the fourth of the book of the 12. It's right uh, before the book of Jonah, if you can find that, but it's tricky to find. It's like Literally, like maybe two pages stuck together, and so, um, only 21 verses this book is, so you can miss it if you uh if you blink. That's right, and so, um I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to read an entire book of the Bible. I don't know, I was however old, old enough to read. And I uh, thought, I found this one. And it's so short, I thought, man, I could do this one. It's only like a page and a half, a page and a quarter. I can do this. And then uh, it's 21 verses, but I couldn't get past the name. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, is anyone else just like, when you open the Bible, you're like intimidated just by names of the Bible? You're like... What? He, if it's like if it starts with a vowel for me, it's like, well, I don't know about that. Let's just keep going. Like Exodus, I could do. I've seen a movie about that. Or Micah. I know a Micah. You know, I could handle that. But Obadiah. <laughs> More like, no, 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 Obadiah. I'm, I'm just going to keep on going. Um, I, I actually did start reading it, but he lost me at the like in the first verse with the word Edom. It starts with a vowel. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, And so I, I remember reading the first verse and being like, wait, there are 20 more of these things? Nah, I decided to read James instead. I can not read James. You know, it's a few pages longer, but at least I know what he's talking about. What is Obadiah talking about? And what does it mean for us? And does it mean anything for us? Uh, unsurprisingly, I'm going to say, yes, it does. So let's dive in. Obadiah, it's not chapter one. It's just verse one. Obadiah verse one. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says Yahweh God concerning Edom. All capital letters in the Old Testament. It's a proper name, Yahweh. We have heard a report from Yahweh. And a messenger has been sent among the nations. What's this messenger saying? Rise up. Let us rise against her. Against Edom for battle. Behold, says Yahweh. Um, evidently. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. Happy Sunday. Uh, the pride, everyone say pride. The pride of your heart has deceived you. Everyone say deceived. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares Yahweh. Let's pause right here. Jesus Uh, We are interested, not in a history lesson, we are interested in your kingdom of self-giving love colonizing us, colonizing our families, and colonizing this city, and transforming us into your image, and so grant that. Speak gospel through Obadiah this morning. Get me out of the way and preach. We ask you to speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen and amen. So the the first of, this is the first prophet that we have in the book of the 12 that's not addressing the Israelites, that's not addressing the people of God. He's talking to Edom. Everyone say Edom. Let's just make that Edom. Yeah, it's it, let's make that a little less scary. It is a little scary. Oh, like, I don't know about that. It's that vowel. And he's talking to Edom, not Israel. And I hear my younger self crying out um, as I tried to read this book. What in the world is Edom? I have no idea. Well. I'll tell you. It's the name of like an ancient nation. It's an, uh, an area, an area on the map. You can go ahead and throw that map up if you want for us. Um, it's, uh, this is actually a Google uh, image that I just snap, uh, grabbed from Google Earth. You can see, I know it's hard to see in the back. I apologize about that. You should have sat closer. Um, no, I'm, I am sorry about that. Um, the, the top left uh, point right there is Nazareth, and then below it is Jerusalem, and then to the bottom right of that is um, the the Dead Sea. There's a a yellow line that I drew on there that is um, actually the Jordan River running up to the Sea of Galilee. And then this big red circle right there that's about, it's slightly larger than the state of Massachusetts to give you some perspective. Um, This is an area called Edom, uh, it reaches down into some really mountainous terrain, if you can't tell, that divides up the modern nation-states of Israel and Jordan, and the prophet Amos, just one page before this in the book of the Twelve, ends his prophecy by saying that one day God's going to restore his people, his corrupt, broken people that will end up going into exile. One day he's going to restore them and they are going to inherit Um, this land, which is symbolic language for they're going to inherit um, a kingdom, and and the meek will inherit the earth, in the words of Jesus. It's like Obadiah picks up this last bit of the book of Amos and picks up a thread and says, oh yeah, well before anybody can move in to a new house, if you If you move out of a house, we just moved from a townhouse, Uh, we bought a house and sold our townhouse, but when we moved out our stuff, suddenly we realize how disgusting the place is. You're just like, man, did we live here? And you start having to like clean the place up so that someone new can move in. It's like Obadiah has picked up the thread of Amos and says, God, for 21 verses, he's communicating that God is going to clean out not only his people, but God's going to clean out the world. God's going to clean out even those, verse 3, those who live in the clefts of the rock, and they're deceived by pride. Those people over there who are deceived by pride. This this nation, this area, this mountainous area, it needs a deep cleaning. It needs a deep cleansing like the people. I don't know why I want to cock a pressure washer, but they need to like have the pride pressure washed off of, uh, off of these mountains and out of this area. These people who verse four think of themselves like eagles that are like lofty above it all i 'm not part of the mess down there i 'm up here in the stars. God has got to power wash this whole area out of pride um, and get it clean and ready and but like I have my younger self still asking questions. my younger self is still like asking questions like. Can we get honest? How proud can you be if you're living in the rocks? Right? Does anyone else just like, when you read that, you're like, you live in the cliffs. Like that, how proud could you get? And so um, I actually want to, more show and tell right here. Um, This is actually a famous entrance. It's the front door to um, a rocky area right in the middle of this, of Edom, the ancient uh, nation state of Edom. It's called uh, Salah or Petra is what a lot of people know it as. It's a hundred miles, as the crow flies, um, south, southeast of Jerusalem. Um, If you go into this, it's about a sixth of a mile long, and it eventually dumps you into like a protected area, like a bowl of mountains around you, and it was eventually developed in the centuries leading up to Jesus into a practically impenetrable city. You can actually see remnants of like the city and the road. It's impressive, there's like a colonnaded road right here that's still standing, and you can see in the distance, um, caves carved, or uh, their buildings carved into the cliff walls, caved out. Um, some of these you can uh, go, yeah, some of these are actually tombs, best we can tell, but some of them, best we can tell from like archaeology, is actually residences. Um, and next slide, the, the scale of this is just like unbelievable. I know you can't really see it that well in the back, but like there are these black dots, and then there are little white ants above those black dots up there. Those are people walking up those arched stairs right there. It's just incredible. Um, Next slide. These are um, stairs carved into a western cave or a western mountain. The side of the mountain, stairs carved into it. Um, The mountain's name is Um Albiara, and um, from here on the top of it, you can actually see the entire area down below you on top of this mountain that we just climbed, that we're looking out, back in the 60s, um, archaeologists actually, I didn't, uh, didn't put a slide on here, here but this is, archaeologists actually found, it was, it's about an inch long, it's an impression in the rock of a signet ring um, that's been, they found it on top of this mountain, and the, um, the signet ring reads, Koskaber, king of Edom, this is where they lived. <laughs> like, we, get the, uh, we know that, that, that that's where they lived because um, uh, from other written sources, not in the Bible, um, we know that he was a king in the 7th century BCE, right around the time the prophets are doing their things. This is a rendering of what the city may have looked like at one point, best we can tell. Um, and this right here is the most famous facade in the entire area. It's called the treasury. Um, this is it's beautiful isn't it? Um, You got some camels camped out in front of it, right down there. My favorite picture is actually the one with the horses camped out in front of it, and Indiana Jones! Right? (laughs) I mean, good grief! This is, yeah, yes, we can applaud for Indiana Jones. Uh, I love him. This is where they filmed the end of the Last Crusade. It's beautiful. On the outside, I mean. I mean, like if you go on the, once they go into the inside, they're on a sound stage somewhere with like the, I don't know, the booby traps and the invisible bridge, spoiler alerts, or whatever that. Um, You guys remember this movie? It's so awesome. It's like Sean Connery's bleeding on the ground, and Indiana Jones needs to, like, find the Holy Grail to save him, and and Dr. Jones has to, I love it. It's just one of my favorite parts. Dr. Jones has to pass through this, like, cobwebby area with, like, and he's only got, like, this book and a phrase to, like, guide him, and it's, like, only the penitent man will pass. Only the penitent man will pass. And then suddenly, like, at the last minute, the cobwebs start moving, and he's, like, in front of him, and he realizes only the penitent, the penitent man is humble before God. He, he kneels and he, he goes down in the blade like spin. He doesn't lose his head. It's like, like humility will save your life. It's kind of like the, the uh, anyway, that's a, I like Indiana Jones. Um, um, hopefully, but hopefully the images are helpful um, as we start thinking about rock dwellers. While, uh, and I know that a lot of the carvings in Petra were actually finished after the Edomites were already gone. But when you live in this grandiose kind of setting, this bowl, this impenetrable, our front door is a sixth of a mile long, you start understanding how you could get cocky living in the rocks they live in the freaking rocks it's like go ahead try to get your army through go ahead We're, yeah this front door is only like six feet wide in some areas it's like yeah we can take you um so that's the where but we still need to answer the who The who are the Edomites? Who in the world are these? And by this, I mean, like, there are other impressive nations around in the, like, in the ancient Near East. Why pick on the Edomites for crying out loud? Like, why do they get a book of the Bible devoted to them? Um, And there are at least two answers to that. And to get at those two answers, we need to keep reading because that's going to give us some clues. Verse 10, because of the violence done, to who? To your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. And he continues in verses 12 through 14 unpacking that there was like this day of distress is what it's called for the people of God. Poetically a lot of times called Jacob. Um, And it's a day that the Edomites helped with. Obadiah is almost certainly talking about, like, have you guys heard of Nebuchadnezzar, famous king of the Neo-Syrian Empire? Yes, yes, Colin has. Um, there, he's almost certainly talking about the day that Nebuchadnezzar rolled up with his Babylonian army and eventually destroyed Jerusalem in 587 BC. And he recruited the Edomites from the southeast to help him. Hey, the Babylonians roll up with with their siege equipment and say, hey, what you doing this summer? You want to help besiege and brutalize Jerusalem? And the the Edomites are like sipping on their lemonade and they're like, sure, why the heck not? Let's just do that for the summer. Verse 10 says that they have done violence against their brother, their brother. So Edom is getting special attention because Edom is actually related to Israel. The Israelites are the people descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's this whole saga that takes place in the book of Genesis where Jacob, he's a liar and a cheat and a sneak. He swindles his twin brother Esau, his older twin brother, out of his inheritance, out of everything. It's a it's a jerk move. It's what it is. And, but Jacob eventually gets what he wants. He gets blessing. He gets inheritance. And all it costs him is he has to go into the witness protection program. He's, he's under threat of death. Um, the Edomites, on the other hand, are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. They're, they're related. We, sh- we should say it this way. We should name it that the Bible is populated by a fractured family. If any of us have felt fractures in relationships or fractures even within families, um, we're, in, we're in good company. It's, it's the human story. It's the biblical story. It's the Edomites are Esauites is who we're talking about here. If you trace back all those boring and brilliant genealogies in Genesis, you begin to realize that everyone in the Bible like literally everyone in the Bible, even the island dwellers and the Greeks and the Assyrians and the Babylonians, everyone is related. And so who in the world are the Edomites, one answer is Edom is the twin of Israel. Edom's the twin nation of Israel, a twin brother that is backstabbed, that is betrayed, that is sabotaged, that is hurt. It's a family member that has caused the deepest kind of wounding that you can imagine. And Israel might even go so far as to call Edom the evil twin. (laughs) Edom over there, Edom. Those stinking Edomites. Those guys who live in the rock fortresses. They did it. They hurt me. They broke me. They helped destroy Jerusalem. They... They sacked the city. They helped tear down the temple. But here's the thing. The Edomites would probably call Israel the evil twin. You you can imagine like the Edomites up on their high horse in their rock fortresses justifying themselves. Because they're saying, well, you know what? Jacob started it. He was the one who started it. He was the sneak. His was the jerk move. Sure, we helped sack Babylon, but you know what they did to us? How many of how? You know what they did to me? Well, they stole our inheritance. The only reason that we're having to live in these cliffs, carve out like, is because they stole our birthright. They stole our inheritance. If this sounds like any of our lives, it's because it's meant to. Who? is telling the truth in this conversation between these. Both of them. Who is right? Both of them. Who is full of pride in their defending their position in the fracture? Both of them. We should say it this way. The Bible is populated by a fractured family and pride defends the fracture instead of healing it so it's what we do we, this is like what we do all the time, we, both sides tell their story, but nobody's actually trying to bridge the fracture, trying to like bring it to, those Edomites, if you heard what they did over the summer, what well, those Israelites, you know what they've been doing year after year after year and they don't even know that they're hurting me and both sides are probably right about a lot of the story. Both sides though, are profoundly deceived by pride. When they defend the state of things as they are, when they defend the fracture itself, your pride has deceived you. That that. Pride, that feeling of like being above it all. No, I'm not part of the mess at all. I didn't cause any of it. C.S. Lewis actually said it this way about pride. He said, it is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Other vices may sometimes bring people together. You may find good fellowship and jokes and friendliness among drunken people. Or unchaste people. They may be good and friendly and, and actually some, somehow have love between them. But pride always means enmity. It is enmity. It is antagonism. It is competition. It's the story that all of us are, God help us, that we're all living in every single day. I'm more, it's not enough to just be right. I'm more right than them. Yes, I know there's a fracture in relationships, in the family of humanity, in the family, maybe our personal families... But they caused more of it than I did. I'm the good one, and they are the bad one. They did the fracture. And Lewis calls this the great sin, the worst sin, because it is the one sin that cannot, by definition, it cannot bring people together Pride, by definition, what it is, is a keeping apart of you from me, is what it is. The very next book in the book of the 12 um, is there to, to just slap us across the face. It's Jonah, and e, the book of Obadiah is saying that other nations relish the ruin of God's people. Eat them. We hate them we want God's people to be, but then God's people relish the ruin of other nations. That's the next book in the book of the 12. It's going to expose that the people of God are no better than the people of Edom. Both sides are relishing the ruin, defending the fracture, and nobody is working towards its healing. It's not a problem with one nation. It's a problem with every nation. It's not just like an Edomite exclusive. It's like a, a human speciality. Are you human? You're really good at this. That's, and this is, um, this is actually part of the genius of the book of Obadiah. The book of Obadiah, he, he chooses the, his nation very carefully because there were a lot of nations he could have picked on, but the word Edom, It's the same letters: alpha, dalit, mem. It's the same Hebrew letters as the word Adam, Adam, Edom, and Adam are the same letters. And so, depending on how you read this in the ancient world, it can be. If you read it one way, it's Edom; those people over there, them. That's the problem. And then, if you pronounce it another way, oh gosh it's me. It's all of us. It's humanity. This is what we, and God is condemning the pride of us all. And so who in the world are the Edomites? The second answer to this question is, well, us. It's, It's all of us. We're all members of the mess. Like, and that's what the prophets again and again are trying to get us to recognize that what well, Edom, this brother, this twin brother, in his all of his pride, he's hurt someone and betrayed him. But we all have. And now Obadiah is reaching his climax because verse 15 says, For the day of the Lord is near upon who? Upon all nations. And um, all the you's here are italicized and bolded right here. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your head. These are all singular words right there. You, 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 you. It's talking to Edom over here. And then verse 16 says, as for y'all, y'all, he's talking to Israel. It's confusing in English, I know. Y'all have drunk on my holy mountain, and all the nations will end up drinking continuously; they will drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. The image right here that Obadiah has got is of a poisoned chalice, a deadly cup that Israel, in her pride Israel has drank. But now all the nations are so prideful, so lofty that all of the nations verse fifteen are going to have to drink this cup of poison, poisoned pride. And then verse 17 says, but, it's a glorious word in Scripture when we run across, but in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possession. Somehow, in the midst of all this, there is a way to be saved. Verse 18 The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. So, all pride of all the nations is somehow going to get burned up. They shall burn them and consume them. There will be no survivor for the household of pride and loftiness of Esau, for Yahweh has spoken. And then the book ends by saying, saviors, plural, saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to judge or to rule Esau, Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be Yahweh's. This is the end of the book of Ob- Obadiah, and it ends with two mountains. It, well, first, it ends with the image of fire burning away broken human brokenness and pride. But then it ends with two mountains, the mountain of Zion and the mountain of Esau, the promise that blessing, divine blessing can come and the reality of human brokenness, of fractured families, of life the way that we experience day in and day out. And Obadiah promises that saviors are going to come and they're going to help bring God's reign to the world. Uh, Side note, a lot of people around the time of Jesus were reading this and thinking that the only way that this could happen would be military and so they, they thought that like the Messiah and his people would conquer the nations and bring Yahweh's rule to the nations. But the book of Jonah, for crying out loud, it should have put an end to that, right? Edom is Adam. Edom is Adam. Like we're all Edomites. We're all poisoned by our own damnable pride. And so what can God do to fulfill the prophecies of Obadiah? How, how, verse 21, how can there be saviors that come from the house of Jacob when even the Israelites are Edomites? How, how can there, verse 18, how can there be a fire that will burn away pride of the rock dwellers when even the Zion dwellers are just as proud and the answer, of course, is that Yahweh says, oh man, to fulfill these prophecies, the fire's gonna have to become flesh. It's what we find in the person of Jesus. God sees the fractured human family. We're all, dr- this is our lives, we're all drowning alone in our pride and he comes down to drink the cup dry himself. Is what Yahweh does. We, we could say this way: God Himself has swallowed our pride with all of its poison. That's, that's what Jesus is wrestling about on his last night before the crucifixion. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, if this is how the family gets put back together, I will drink it. And so Jesus, fully God the church confesses swallowed all of our pride, all of our estrangement, all of our brokenness, the entire fracture of the human race. He swallows it down, glory, hallelujah, that God makes us right with himself while we are dead in our sins. God swallows our poison and wants to give us life, but the life of Jesus is what he's going to give us. And Jesus fully man, is what the church confesses, shows us what kind of life he wants to give you, what kind of life he wants to give me. And it is a life willing to humble ourselves and do what it takes to mend relationships. That's the life willing to carry the cross for the sake of our enemy for the sake of the other the the life willing to drink the cup if it means healing the fracture someone has to swallow the pride can i get an amen you <laughs> when it happens it's not just individuals that get saved it's relationships that get saved do you know how the great saga of Jacob and Esau ends How it actually plays, lots of people don't know this, how it actually plays out. Jacob has swindled his twin brother. He's fleed from him. He's entered witness protection program. And then what happens when they finally see each other again? Jacob's scared to death. He's conned his twin brother out of basically everything. And he tries to give him just like donkeys and camels full of riches, like a mountain of riches. Maybe I can buy his kindness and I will be okay. But Esau doesn't need any of that Esau responds with grace, with kindness, with forgiveness. It actually says this, so profound. Genesis 33 says, But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. And you have accepted me. (laughs) So he sees the face of Esau, someone who celebrates his success and forgives his failures and doesn't have to be bought. And he says, That's what God is like. God is true. God's burning away our brokenness. It's true and it's painful, but he's also forgiving our failures. He's celebrating that his children are coming home and we're invited to believe this good news and go and do likewise. And so just a couple of lightning reflections as we're getting ready to come to the table. Number one, um, how we can open ourselves up to the fire of God, burning away our pride. Well, number one, get off your high horse. You're a member of the mess, (laughs) <laughs> pride is almost always the problem. No matter who we're at odds with, whether it's like a coworker, a boss, a neighbor, a family member, a spouse, maybe even a whole group of people, like that political party over there. Like, and if pride didn't cause the problem, pride is compounding the problem. It's it's furthering the fracture. We are all Edomites, whether we come from Jacob or Esau, whether we are from Jonah or Nineveh, you too are a member of the mess. And this is brilliantly good news because Jesus didn't come for the clean. He came for the messy. You You can lay down the crushing burden of trying to pretend like you're perfect. In everything we 're all a mess, and we 're loved and when we get the burden off of us, we can start loving others and showing them grace. The second way would be abandon your mountain fortress, abandon it, and prioritize making confessions over receiving them. Many of us like we live in a place of pride because we're like desperately afraid of being hurt is what we 're afraid of, and our pride has become. Petra to us. It's like this impenetrable place where we cannot be hurt. If I never admit that I've done anything wrong, then I will not be hurt, and nobody can get to me. And you're right, nobody can get to you. You are utterly safe there, but you're utterly alone there. You cannot be reached. You cannot be known. You cannot Beloved. And if you are afraid today, I'm just telling you that Jesus is inviting you out of Petra, and you may get an arrow, you may get hurt a little bit, but you're also gonna find that you're not alone anymore. And so we could practice this by saying, I'm sorry I. I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry that I've been acting that way. I'm sorry I forgot to. I'm so, when we say, I'm sorry I, we're leaving the mountain fortress and we're opening ourselves up to love which is the only place of real security. If we learn nothing from Obadiah, maybe we should learn from Indiana Jones that pride will make us die alone in the mountain fortress. Only the penitent man will pass. Get low. Get low before God. Get low before other people. Humility will save your life. It'll save your family. It'll save this world. And number three, show people the face of God. We get to do this. Celebrate their success and forgive their failures. God's kingdom does not come in our lives or in other people's by bullying or arguing or battling or even winning the argument. It comes through gentleness through forgiveness, through grace. That is how Messiah and his people rule the nations. That's how saviors spread the kingdom, not by battle, but by humility and grace. Jacob glimpsed God's face in a brother who showed him grace. And it's the, this is the gospel. It's the same face that we see forgiving us as we nail him to a cross. It's the same face that emerges from the darkness of the tomb and invites us out of death and into life. It's the same face that is continually showing you grace every moment of your life. And we are invited to show that face to other people. Grace is the only life there is, brothers and sisters. You either show grace or you die slowly. May we, may we not die slowly. May we show grace. May we taste it this morning as we sing. And may we extend it even to our evil twin. I invite you to stand right now. I invite you to join me in a prayer of confession. We're going to confess that this is not the way we live. Oftentimes, I am totally with you in, in all of this and the hardness of it and in the beauty of what we are being invited into. And so join me right now, brothers and sisters, in confessing most merciful God. that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the gospel lets me tell you that if you say those words from the depths of you, I have good news. You are forgiven and you are set free from what has chained you and you're set loose on this world to show them the face of God. Let's sing praise to his name. Sorry about that. We're going to keep singing, but it struck me in the first service and we're going to do it again in this service. The the whole point of the gospel is that they have a seat at the table of the Lord You didn't get your seat by choosing Jesus. Jesus chose your seat and eventually you came to the table. And so the table is the place where it's not just we come and we get to be privately saved with God. The table's the place where we all come together and say, I'm going to be a new humanity that is united, where fractures are healed, where relationships are mended. And so at some point in this song, Jillian's going to lead us. But I want us to lead into this song as like a prayer and as a confession and sing they have a seat at the table of the Lord and because Jesus invites them to this table we can reach out to them even if it's just in starting to pray for them in the smallest of ways and so let's keep singing
0: they. they
1: have a seat at the table
3: So we come to this moment where we remember that uh, our teacher and our Lord didn't just teach us to love our enemies, he actually did it. And he's actually still doing it. Every time we come to this table we recognize that a seat has been made for us. Our heart has been claimed by our creator. He will not let us go. And he wants them to. He claims them To and we come together, and so friends, we remember what God is like. That on the night He was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus took bread, and having given thanks, He broke the bread and He gives it to us, He gave it to His disciples, and He said, Take, eat. This is my body, and it is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, Jesus, we remember what you did, and we remember who you are right now, that you are here in this place loving us, loving them, and inviting your life into us. And so we say, get it into us. Set us free, make us lovers like you are, make us joyful like you are, make us forever alive like you are. You may receive the bread. Likewise, when supper was over, he took the cup, and having given thanks, he shared that cup with his disciples. He shares it with you this morning. If you're listening and you want it, fix your eyes on him because he says, This is for you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, Jesus, we remember you, that you are here in this place, that you are cleansing us of all of our fractures, all of our brokenness, all of our pride. You are cleansing us, and you have been humble where none of us could be, and you are getting that into us. And so the Spirit of God Get it into us by the mystery of your presence. You may receive the cup. So right now, you're invited to just thank Jesus. Maybe open your hands and thank Jesus for what he's doing in the world, what he did so long ago, and what he is going to continue to do in us and through us in the world. Saviors will come from Zion. Jesus, we give you thanks and we sing praises and doxology to you right now.
2: you receive this this morning may the lord bless you may the lord keep you may make his face shine upon you be gracious to you give you peace it's great to see you this morning new life east turns one year old next sunday isn't that cool what a journey a special journey that it has been with you we're gonna recreate our launch we're gonna have food trucks and treat for you, and it's going to be a party. So would you come back? Pastor Andrew will be back next weekend. It has been wonderful to worship with you this morning. Go in peace.